start with uh, welcoming our, our weary traveler uh, back from Guatemala. How was it? Magnificent. Very good. It wasn't hot, was it? Oh, yeah, it was a little hot. A little warm? Yeah. It was very hot, very humid, no shade. was. And when she got back, I got text messages, and she was trying to speak Spanish, so it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And pastor's, pastor's great because it's Latin, it's Spanish, you already know, right? Uh, so, well, good. What was your, um, what was the biggest surprise, do you think? I think the biggest surprise for me was as, as poor as these people are, mm-hmm. they have the most abounding love that you have ever seen. Uh, they all greet you. Uh, with smiles and they didn't do that for me <laughs> yeah yeah well, yeah. Well, we could talk about yeah, yeah we can, we have something in common and and smiles and yeah uh, i mean it's, it's just amazing um, and it doesn't matter that you're a stranger um, mm-hmm. and the children will just come up and they'll tap you on the shoulder and all they want is a hug mm-hmm. that's all they want and they're uh the other thing is for uh, generally for prayers, we always ask them if there's something we could pray for, and they always answer the same answer, family. Hmm. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah, and we're glad you were able to go and you came back uh, safe and sound, so thanks be to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are lamenting. Um, uh, very good. Well, uh, thanks for that report. Uh, today, before you, um, I have a picture of our church, and Cora was quite observant, and she noticed the only thing that is missing from this picture. This picture is old. It's the cross uh, that was placed on top there. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2015 or 2016, something like that. Um, and it was fun because um, when they were putting the cross on there, they used one of these big, you know, they rented one of these big sort of baskets that you, the guy climbs into in the basket, the arm goes way up and it goes high. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, something like that. And um, I, uh, I, I told the guy, I said, hey, I need to use that because uh, it was around Ascension Day. I said, I need to work on this for my Ascension Day sermon. So on, on Sunday morning, I can stand in it and you can raise me up and we can get the full effect, you know, because we're all about special effects here. Um, but this picture and this article, looky here. Um, first, the most important part. What do you see here? Look at our far, our famous, world famous journalist Mary Lou Schminke, who who submitted this article. This was this coming week in what year was it? Twenty. Let's see. In 2012, right? Uh, the remodeled sanctuary, we had our uh, dedication, rededication service, July 15th, 2012. So this week was a pretty, a pretty important week for us and uh, another reminder of God's faithfulness and sustenance and uh, keeping us uh, here. And um, yeah, so uh, July 15th, 2022. So that was some years ago, back when I was a young man. Um, <laughs> Back in the day, yes, indeed. Uh, so there we go. Uh, you also see um, Clarice. 
Brandon, it's interesting that you're here today. Were you part of the group that started this church? During that time, okay. Oh, I'm thinking of um, our, one of the other organists who's helping us out, who's also the, the teacher there at the school. Yeah, the Ingrams, the Ingrams. So, yeah, very good. So we still have, have a few folks, few folks around. So uh, thanks be to God for that. Remember uh, Emmanuel uh, and give thanks to God in your prayers this week. Okay, well, a couple of things that we are going to be going through today, of course, is um, the, the Proverbs. Um, we're going to finish up. There's one or two notes I wanted to make uh, at the end of Proverbs 1 and then um, go on to Proverbs 2 and, and maybe even, even 3 uh, today, Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise. Um, as we uh, look at finish up Psalm 1, I wanted to be at verse, um, let's see, this is, which, what is this? Yeah, this is Psalm 1. So, Proverbs, whatever. If I say Psalms, I mean Proverbs, sorry. Um, so, with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, we discussed uh, how the enticement um, for, the enticement for wickedness is to, one of the enticements of wickedness is not just to, hmm, that's interesting, it's not just to be wicked and engage in wicked acts. Foolishness also tries to make you think you can be neutral, to not go down the path of wisdom to not go down the path of God's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there is the enticement really to stay neutral. Uh, none of this works. Um, to stay neutral and not to um, call out and to go down uh, the path of God's righteousness and wisdom. Okay. Now, also then, as we, go, as we do go forward, uh, in these uh, verses 20 and following, when we get to verse 22, the proverbist Solomon, uh, he has at the end four people who he calls out to, who wisdom calls out to, right? We see, we see here in verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. So here, wisdom is the one who is crying out. Not just in the street, but look, everywhere, in the markets, the noisy streets, she cries out. The entrance to the city gates, wisdom is everywhere, crying out. And look at the ones that, that wisdom is calling out to. It says, how long, O simple ones? How long, scoffers? How long, right, fools? Okay, so we have over here these four categories of the unwise, you have the simple ones or the young. They delight in foolishness, right? They, they have not pursued wisdom, but they pursue a wisdom of their own doing. So the simple, right? The simple ones are the, the young. They haven't been, been taught, right? And then we have, um, let's see, the fool, or I have it backwards here, the scoffers. So 
the, the point is, is which of these three categories does the person who is going along the path of wickedness fall into as a warning to ourselves? That you can be foolish as a simple one because you love being simple, which means you're not being taught a wisdom outside of yourself. You are not seeking on how to be better, how to better yourself. You're happy just staying where you're at. The scoffer delights in error, right? They delight in false teaching. They have a hardened heart against wisdom, right? Where they, they aren't just neutral, kind of like the, the simple one over here, right? But they, um, they are loving their simplicity. They don't want to grow, okay? The scoffers, uh, next, they're the ones who don't just delight or don't just, don't just want to grow, but they, right, they delight in their scoffing. They delight in their error. They delight in their false teachers. They, they brag, perhaps, to say things like, look how, um, what would be a good thing? Look how accepting we are of everything, right? Every teaching. Look, we accept all people, right? This is the scoffer who delights in their scoffing. They delight in their error, their hardened heart against wisdom. The fool, right? So at the end here, we have the fools, right? This is another category. The fool, right, has been falsely taught. So remember, we kind of have in the, in the scriptures, we kind of have, well, in, in the wisdom of, of, of the scriptures, a lot of times there's a difference and a distinction of those who are not following the path of wisdom. And we see this in Jesus's life, how Jesus reacts differently to different people. Some people come to Jesus and Jesus has a very stern word of rebuke. Who were those people? The Pharisees, people who perhaps delighted in their false teaching. They, they delighted in their hardened heart against Jesus. Jesus had a word of rebuke for them. But then there were also some people, somebody like Nicodemus who comes to mind. Jesus had some pretty heavy words for Nicodemus, but Jesus engaged with Nicodemus, right? And, and taught with him and discussed with him uh, on trying to lead him uh, to the truth. And then there were some people who came to Jesus and Jesus just opened his heart. No bounds, nothing, no boundaries on anything. He said, you are forgiven. I have not seen such faith. So the, in the Proverbs, at the beginning, Solomon, wisdom, the Holy Spirit says, what do you delight in? Are you a, a simple one who delights in just not growing, not knowing God's wisdom, not seeking the kingdom first, that's not the path of wisdom. That's actually the path of evil. Are you a scoffer? Do you delight in welcoming and opening all the doors to all false teaching, all forms of teaching? Is there, as the, the, the saying in our day, is there no truth? It's not black and white, everything is gray. And then you have the, the fool who's been falsely taught. Have you been led astray? Have you, have you gone and, and drunk from poisoned wells? 
uh, have you been misled even too? So to all of these, wisdom is calling out. Uh, wisdom is calling out for you to what? Turn at my reproof, right? And look at, look at what happens when, you know, turn is another word for what? A biblical word? Repent, right, is another word for turning. So you repent at my reproof. That is not a characteristic of any of these, these ones uh, that he just said. You love being simple. You delight in scoffing. You hate knowledge. None of these will receive this spirit of God, right? And there, of course, is another picture of the Trinity. I will pour out my spirit on you right? How? I make my words known to you. You find the spirit in the word. But now uh, going back to these, right? Oh, and here uh, on this side, the notes. If you turn, repentance has two parts, contrition and then faith. Fruit of repentance then comes after. Uh, And part of the fruit of repentance, part of repentance is suffering and good works. There is wisdom in repentance. We remember the passage from 2 Timothy 3. Does somebody know that? Somebody pull that up? 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 16. And this idea of um, the wisdom of God, what is it it used for? Uh, 15 and 16. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So there you see St. Paul with Timothy. What two words do you see in there that we're studying? You see reproof, but what else did he say? He used the, he, remember our gang sign? He used, he used the W word, wisdom. In there, St. Paul makes the connection for us here in Proverbs. Where, what is the wisdom of God? Well, there, look there, it's reproof, it's rebuke. God's word, the wisdom of God is good to do this, right? To seek God's word, right? And it's just repeated over and over again here, right? In, in the following verses, I have called and you refused Oh, I'm going to make you dizzy here. Sorry, folks. You refused to listen, right? You refused to listen, so it comes from outside of you. I have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. Whenever God would stretch out his hand, it could be one of two things. For the Israelites, he says, I stretched out my hand and rescued you. But it also, in some regards, God can stretch out his hand Do you remember what happened with Jacob when he wrestled the angel? Remember, he wrestled with the angel through the night and and Jacob was winning and the angel was trying to get away and Jacob was winning. He was wrestling against God. He was fighting against him. And then God reached, we're told he reached out his hand and he what? Touched his hip, threw it out, right? So then he could get get away. Um, So God's word, God stretches out his hand, his spirit through his word, 
sometimes to touch our hips, to give us a little limp, right? To humble us for reproof, rebuke, teaching and righteousness. So this idea, this picture, right? This is also, this is such a rich saying. When God says, I've stretched out my hand. When Moses was standing before Pharaoh, and I think it was the gnats, the, 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 I just almost said the virus, the curse of the gnats, right? And Pharaoh looked at his magicians and said, y'all, can y'all make the gnats happen? Because the magicians were able to reproduce the same miracles. And they said, can you make the gnats happen? And the magicians turned to Pharaoh and said, no, this is the finger of God. Another way, the finger of God. You think of, uh, who's the artist that has that beautiful painting with God's finger, right, touching with, is it with Adam, right? Is that Da Vinci? Da Vinci, yeah, where the, you see the finger of God, right, touching. Um, this, is, this has huge implications throughout the scriptures. The finger of God. And remember, what does Jesus do with his finger? When the Pharisees bring the woman and they say they're going to stone her to death, Jesus takes his finger, right, and he writes in the sand. Right? We're, not, we're not told exactly what he writes, but we, we think he writes the Ten Commandments or the Sixth Commandment. But here, God says that he is stretching out his hand, but no one heeded. These people did not repent. Because why? They have ignored, right? They would not have any reproof. And look at the, you know, y'all heard about the Sparkle Creed over these last couple of weeks. This is my Sparkle Creed marker, right? God says, I will laugh at your calamity. Right? I will mock when terror, not if, right? But when terror strikes you. Strikes you like a storm. Your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Have, they would have none of my counsel, despised my reproof, Therefore, right, remember, this is what we've, this is, oh, hey there. This is what we've, we've talked about. This is what we've, we've been studying here. That God ultimately, right, gives you what you want. When you say, my will be done, in the end, finally God says, yes, your will be done. Okay, but look at finally in verse 33. We do have a word. We have a word of rescue. But whoever listens to me, will dwell secure, right? And here, this reminds us of our gospel reading today. Rest. Um, you will be at ease. You will dwell secure. Okay, so notice there is this, this two paths, wisdom or wickedness. And so Solomon now is calling out to his son to follow in the steps of his father David of repentance and faith. Any thoughts or questions on that, on Psalm 1, as we've finished and tied it up? That specifically God's word, right? It points out and reminds us of uh, to be weary, right? To not, 
to not be, right, to not be a, the simple ones that love being simple, meaning I'm just going to, hey, man, <laughs> everything's cool, right, and, and to not grow in righteousness. Scoffers who delight in their false teaching or fools who hate knowledge. Okay, what is it that we, what is it that we delight in? Right, and we should delight in the reproof and the working of God in our life. Where God stretches out his hands, where he provides us shelter in Jesus. Okay, any thoughts or questions on Psalm Proverbs 1? Yeah, we got a lot of questions on Psalm 1. We didn't talk about it at all. Okay. Okay, Proverbs 1. So now we're going to turn to Proverbs 2, and uh, I want to show you uh, a couple of things here. Uh, in particular, we're going to look um, online real quick at something I wanted you to see. So in Proverbs 2, right away, uh, it again has the greeting, starts again and says, my son. Okay, so we'll take note of that and we'll, we'll think about that here in a bit. But these are very important proverbs. Some of them start out like this, my son. And it's almost Solomon is not just talking to his natural son, but he's talking to all those who are coming to him for wisdom. And we'll, we'll speak on that here in a little bit. Um, let's go ahead and read the, the text. Um, if somebody would read verses... Oh, uh, read verses 1 through 11. Or actually, go ahead and go through verse 15. Um, that's a good midpoint, I guess. Read out loud, nice and loud for us. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness and rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perseverance of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Okay. Um, so these first 15 verses, uh, as we see them here, um, really 15 was just a good breaking point. But what I want to show you uh, here in the Hebrew is that the Holy Spirit has guided Solomon to make the very composition of Proverbs to kind of a piece of art. We have this in English 
where we have um, acrostic poems, right? Where uh, an acrostic poem is where each line of the poem starts out with a word or a letter that has to do with the title of the poem, right? Isn't that acrostic? Is that right? Where are my English majors? It can be, yeah. But there are, there are ways in literature that an author can get a point across more than just reading the words. Um, we have um, some of those poems that, like if it's a poem about a whale, it's in the shape of a whale, right? Um, if you have a, a, a poem or a, a story and each paragraph starts off with a certain word, the author is trying to clue you into something. Authors are creative. They like doing these things. So too in God's word do we have various examples of this, and Proverbs 2 is one of those. It's very theological and it's very, it's very cool. Um, we get excited about these things. So in Proverbs 2, what is the art involved? Theological art, if you will. If you notice, we have the, the greeting here, my son. Uh, and this is online. This is ex uh, you can access this. Any of you can. This is an interlinear uh, Old Testament with the Hebrew and its parts of speech and a, and a basic translation. The danger of these things is that <laughs> it's, it's somebody else's translation. The danger of this is you can know enough of this to be dangerous, kind of like me. Um, uh, you can, just by using this, you know, it's good, and I implore you and, 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 and say it's a good thing to use. But also, too, when you're reading the, the English of it, it's also somebody's translation, okay? It's not, it's not pure. But you can see here um, this my son, the very beginning, right? And you see they try to put a little bit of an English pronunciation key above it. Right? So my son, Benny. Right? So whenever you're, you're reading something about a, a, something Jewish or Hebrew, and it's like um, his name, or you see this in Islam too. Somebody's name is Muhammad bin Bakar. Bakar right? Bin means son of. So also in the scriptures, when Jesus is there, he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, right? Son of, son of Jonah. So bar Benny. Um, uh, this is my son. This is an important beginning to this, to this proverb uh, that is going to be a marker. But what is of importance for us today in the artistic side of this is this first word right here, this if. Because what Solomon is doing here is he is making this letter right here. This is the Aleph, which is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. What Solomon is doing is he is making this Aleph, he is making that Aleph very present in this proverb, right? You see it again there. And you hear it in the English, right? If, if, if. Solomon is using the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet as, as sort of a marker to teach us something. He's making the A happen again and again and again at the beginning of a sentence. It's ah, 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 a, 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 a. So when you hear it in the Hebrew, um, it's like uh, alliterate, is it alliteration? When you use the same sound, right? My, my, my perfect perseverance presses proudly pondering pastor's wisdom, right? Um, that's what you should all know. It's a wonderful poem. Um, Solomon is doing this in using the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
Now then, what does he do come halfway in verse 11? He does something interesting that you can notice if you're hearing it in the Hebrew. When he gets to verses 11, or I'm sorry, verse, <laughs> verse 12 and following, you see a new letter, the Lamed, which is the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And now, verses 12 and following, right? You see, it's this idea of deliverance. He's going to repeat that letter, right? He's going to repeat that letter, and it's going to show up in, uh, in various verses, a not another noticeable sound in the Hebrew. So he moves from the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet that when he gets then to the middle of Proverbs 2, verse 11, he starts using the L in Hebrew, which is the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay? Now, it's not just this. It's not just the sound that scholars have noticed, but also the number of verses in Proverbs 2. There are 22 verses... Right? There's the Lamed. There are, I'm sorry, that's not it. There are 22 verses in Proverbs 2, which is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So what Solomon is saying, he's doing something even that Jesus will do when somebody comes and asks him and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, essentially, he's, this, he takes all of the Ten Commandments and he sums them up in two tables, Aleph and Lamed. He sums it up in two parts. So, he takes, so when somebody comes and says, well, what's the, you know, what's, the, what's the wisdom of God? What's the greatest law there is to live? And Jesus says, he kind of does what Solomon does here. He sums it up into two tables because here Solomon's point in Proverbs 2 is to say that divine wisdom is complete. Divine wisdom is full. There is nothing missing from A to Z, as we would say in English. So Solomon is using the first letter of the alphabet to say that the wisdom of God will teach you everything you need to know of God's law between you and God and then also between you and your neighbor, what we might call the two tables of the law. So Proverbs 2 is one of the most well-known Proverbs in the, in the Hebrew sort of world or Hebrew speaking, Hebrew listening, because it's one of these that not only teaches wisdom just like you would read, right? Just the plain meaning of the words, but you also hear it. It's like when you hear a, when you hear a beautiful song, a beautiful hymn, and the words are also beautiful, right? Uh, it, 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 it shows the completeness of the wisdom of God that you will get. So Solomon is trying to say, okay, look, we've heard in Proverbs 1, I've warned you and I've told you all these things. I told you the, what happens if you go down the path of wickedness. He says, now, you, you may think you're going to miss out on what the wicked, in the wisdom of the wicked. It may look like they're winning. You may think you're going to miss out, 
but not only in the words, but also in the sound, Solomon, guided by the Holy Spirit, is saying, that's not the case. The benefits of the wisdom of God, of divine wisdom, you get everything. You have all the treasures of God. You will lack nothing. So it's, it's a beautiful proverb, not just in the words, but also if you were to hear it read aloud, you would say, ah, oh, this is pretty interesting. So that when Jesus, when he tells the Jews, when they ask, what is the greatest letter of the law? What's the greatest? Jesus says, well, in all of, God, in all of God's law, you find wisdom and it's all pointing to me. Any thoughts or questions? No, you can do that yourself. That's why I pointed this out and oh, says, you yeah, can do, yeah. you can do. Uh, see, it's easy, right? Benny, and sometimes it's, these, these pronunciations are a little bit off, uh, but like Benny, Im, uh, Ticha, uh, uh, there's an Aleph, that's an M, Amare, Amara, uh, there you go. <laughs> Yahweh, that's all you need to know, right? And Jesus said, this is my Hebrew joke for the day. Jesus looked at his disciples, you know, and he said, when he said, I am, you know, he says, Yahweh, telling them he's God. Jesus said, Yahweh. And the disciples said, no way. <laughs> Jesus said, Yahweh. <laughs> divine wisdom, divine wisdom. Okay, so... Um, so here we go. These are a little reversed this time. I have the text here on the right side uh, as we've gone through verse 15. Um, the big part of this, right, the structure of it is important. And this is something that you should know about the Bible. And, and the disciples, in some regards, will even do this. When they're writing the scriptures guided by the Holy Spirit, it's not just a, it's not just a news report. The Holy Spirit using the, the skills and the abilities of the disciples and their various gifts, it, there are some aspects of the Bible that are also works of art. That, that even the greatest author, um, novelist, artist would see and say, this even has aesthetic beauty to it. Uh, it's, it's, really, really, it's really, really neat. And, and I really like that. Um, that there are sometimes some interesting things that you can find in, in the scriptures. As you seek them, as you, in, you know, dive into them, the Lord has many treasures hidden in them. Okay, so here, uh, in, on this side here, uh, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is Solomon says, my son. And it's, Solomon is not just speaking of his natural sons, or son or sons. He addresses his students as sons. This, this is a hint that instruction is based on a familial relationship, as we hear in the catechism, as the head of the house should teach. Solomon is not just speaking to his natural son, but all who are coming to them, he's taking the role of father, of instructor and teacher. And you see there, my, that next bullet point here, oftentimes pastors, right, are called fathers, right? I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm saying you've heard it before. It, 
becomes rather weird to me, but it's fun too when I'm walking through the airport wearing my collar or I'm going through a hospital and people say, Father, and I say, you betcha. <laughs> Uh, you know, father, and, and it's, with, uh, it's with, you know, um, truthfulness and kindness that they say father because they look to the clergy in a fatherly way according to the scriptures. That our fathers, according to God's word, should do what? Teach. What else? Protect. Teach. Guide, re- reprove, rebuke. I like that one. We need to, we need to, we need to put that one up here somewhere. Um, for for our children, right? And um, a lot of people say, well, we don't call our clergy father, because right there is this passage that Jesus has that seems to to say, right? Jesus says, call no one your father, but they also forget there's this part. When Jesus says, call no one your teacher. But these same people who say, oh, you shouldn't call your pastor father because Jesus says we shouldn't call it. That's one of the biggest, biggest gripes about it. Jesus said you should call no one your father. Well, Jesus also says you shouldn't call anyone your teacher. So you can't call anyone your teacher. But the point Jesus is making in this passage is, is the first commandment. Is who is your chief teacher? Who is your fatherly figure? Who is your greatest teacher? Who is your greatest fatherly right, role model? If it's not God, if God isn't your primary teacher, you should not bow down to a teacher as if they are God. Like what Nicodemus did when he came to Jesus. Do you remember what Nicodemus, how he addressed Jesus? Came to him and said, good teacher, We know that you have come from God. And Jesus says, don't call me good. There is no one good but God. Because Nicodemus was coming to Jesus as somebody who could, bless you, somebody who could teach him how to get to heaven. And Jesus says, it's not about how. It's not about learning the right law to get into heaven. That if you do something, it's about me faith in me, and that I do everything for you. You must be born from above. So here with Solomon saying, my son, Solomon is taking a fatherly role, a fatherly figure, a a fatherly uh, head, right? And he's using, right, even this same language that St. Paul is, is not afraid to use when he's speaking of his relationship to Timothy as his son. Right? We don't have St. Paul who says, oh, call me your father. But right, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging our spiritual heads as father or even mother, that we can have a spiritual mother, somebody who takes the spiritual role of what a God-pleasing mother would do for us in regards to the faith. There is nothing wrong with that. In fact, we already do this, don't we? Using familial terms with each other. Hey, brother, sister, right? So when you're throwing your gang signs of wisdom downtown, you can say, hey, brothers, you know, and they will say, brother, and they'll throw wisdom gang sign back at you. Uh, I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that joke. Um, So Solomon addresses not just his natural sons, but his sons in the faith. 
so this is something we're not, we're not really used to, right? And I'm not used to it either. I'm not telling you we have to do this. But we also shouldn't rebuke people who call their clergy person's father. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a recognition that God has provided this, this office of pastor as somebody to teach, somebody to rebuke, all of the things we hope our earthly fathers would do as well. But we don't have to pay for your college, so that's good. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, any thoughts or questions on that? That, that Bible passage too, I wanted to, to make sure you understand that there's, you know, this, this idea of, of uh, what Jesus was teaching in that passage. Because St. Paul does, this, does the very thing. Okay? All right. So back to our text uh, here that we have. Uh, this is the, the three ifs, right? These are all over here on this side. These ifs, if you receive my words, right, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. If you call out, right, and then he says the same thing, raise your voice, right? So this is something that we call out that goes out. If you seek, right, like silver, search all of these ifs. At the beginning here, we have the three ifs for what Jesus does say and what the Bible tells us. If you love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, your soul, and mind. Jesus is building on what Solomon says here. Look at all of this, right, this whole picture of your whole body. Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, and mind. Go and seek, right, the hidden treasure of wisdom with everything you have. Um, and then there, when you are there, right, you will find the knowledge of God. If you are dedicated to find, finding wisdom, in, the, in my notes here, what will you find? You will find the fear of the Lord. You will find repentance. Wisdom and knowledge of God, this left side here, wisdom and knowledge of God always lead to repentance. To know the law of God, to seek the law of God, and to allow the law of God to examine you, you will know the law of God, it will lead you to repentance, and then you will find his mercy in faith. This is all working from a place of faith, finding the mercy of God, right? Because here, right, we see as we, we go through here, these, verse, these first 11 verses, right, are calling out and giving promises. Verse 6, right, the Lord, he gives wisdom. This all comes from outside of ourselves. The source is the Lord, right? We don't seek wisdom from the secular or from worldly sources. The wisdom of God is only given from him, right? So what does he say? This wisdom, what will it do for you? Here in verse 7, wisdom for the upright, it is what? A shield, right? It guards your path. It watches 
over you. Wisdom, the wisdom of God is a protecting, it's like a shield, right? The wisdom of God is, is something that is there and it is, it's watching your, your back. And then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, every good path. When you start with the wisdom of God, and that wisdom comes from outside of us, it comes from the scriptures, Wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant, right? You will, you will like it. You will find that you have a taste. Your, your, your taste for uh, the world, uh, you, you begin to have a distaste for the world. You begin to have a hunger and a desire for righteousness and justice, the righteousness and justice of God. Okay, these, these words here, right, are, are court words, right? We have here, um, righteousness and justice, courtroom words, justice is simply the judgment that the judge makes, guilty or innocent, and Christ has pleaded our case before God. So when you, when you, have, when you have faith, when you believe and trust, right, that's when you have all these things that come as, as the reward, understanding, deliverance. Uh, delivering, being delivered from the way of the evil. Verse 14, now, uh, as we're coming to, to the middle or coming to where we ended up, stopped reading, now comes the question of those who don't, right, who don't rejoice in wisdom, but, right, those who forsake the paths of uprightness, who walk in ways of darkness. What is the other half? What is the other side of this, right? What is it that you delight in? Now, verse 14 speaks a little bit of this big word that we know, this big theological word, um, that we have a natural inclination to sin. And we call this concupiscence over here on, on this side, this word right here in verse 14. That word doesn't appear, right? But it does we have a word for it, concupiscence, which means an inclination to sin, right? Rejoice in doing evil, or delight in the perverseness of evil. That our fallen, the fallen flesh has a desire to sin, to lead us down this false path. This became an important point in the Reformation, this word concupiscence, because the Roman Catholic Church, their doctrine essentially teaches that it's not a sin to desire sin, to desire to sin. Part of the Reformation was filtering out this point, this word of concupiscence, which means even our desire to sin is wicked. The Roman Catholic Church said, no, it's not a sin until what? Till you do it. But the Lutherans said, no, the scripture is clear that our thoughts, right? Jesus in Matthew says, if you think of the word fool to your brother, if you look at a woman, if you desire that which is not yours, right? This, this, 
this concupiscence, this inclination to sin, this being sort of in our natural fallen flesh, we are, we are not just tilted towards sin, but we run. We run in that direction when left to our own devices. Um, this is the binding of our fallen will, the bondage of the will that left alone, humanity would utterly destroy itself. You see this in kids. I mean, the first couple years of a kid's life, what are you constantly doing? No. <laughs> well, yeah, not just no, but you're trying to save their life, right? Yeah, that's why we're saying no is because we're constantly telling them, don't stick your finger in the outlet. Don't play in the street. Don't jump off the roof. And then, you know, you get a reprieve for a couple years and then they become a teenager. And it's, again, you're trying to save their life <laughs> from themselves. Uh, were you going to, yeah, make a statement? I do have a question. Um, how about dreams, bad dreams you have? Uh, One of the kids at church camp asked this, is that a sin? Right. You have a dream. And we were all talking about that. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's your thoughts, but it's in a dream. So is that sin if you do something bad in your... Right. Um, yeah, we would say it's a, we would say it's a sin, right? But you see a lot of times we sinners, we don't like the fact that we unconsciously sin, right? I mean, do you think about every sin you commit? No. Do we actively commit every sin? No, a lot of times. And, and, and that's what, why we pray in the Lord's prayer. That's why the Lord's prayer is such a treasure. Forgive us our trespasses. Right? And that's what we learned in the catechism. What sins are we to confess? Well, we are to plead guilty to all sins, even, even dreams. Right? So yes, our dreams, they, are, they can and are sinful many times because we are sinners. Yet we are still fighting against that. Um, but it's one of these sins that, um, you know, we would say, look, you know, it, it's kind of the equivalent of when you're, you know, you're sitting there and you have a wicked thought. Right. Uh, one picture of it is, is, you know, I think Luther says, you know, sin is, can be like a bird sometimes and it fly, it's flying over and then it lands on your head. And, and Luther says, you know, yes, that, that it's sin and that bird lands on our head because we are, we are sinners. Right. Um, and, and Luther says, yeah, it's, it's sinful, but the worst sin is if you let the bird, what? build a nest on your head. <laughs> That's probably what Luther said, you know, but the nicer version. So, yeah, because, you know, what are we trying to do when we ask, well, is it a sin if I have a bad dream? Well, um, what, what comfort do you get in your conscience if I, if I say no? You know, are you then, you know, are you priding yourself uh, that, that you're not you know, you don't have wicked thoughts. I mean, dreams are just thoughts, right? And many times I could also, would also say that a lot of times wicked dreams or nightmares, what do they come from? Okay, yeah, kind of. But a lot of times you're reliving something you've opened yourself to, right? What happens when we let kids watch bad movies, scary movies? What's going to happen that night at two o'clock in the morning? Nightmare. Mom, dad, I have nightmares. Right? A lot of times the wicked thoughts are because we have embraced wickedness during the day. Not always, 
But I am saying this is something, right? This is something that we can see that, that does happen. Um, so yeah, um, wicked thoughts, a lot of times bad dreams happen because we have embraced this path of, of wickedness instead of the path of wisdom of repentance and hearing the gospel for that. Which then, you know, and, and I can attest too, sometimes, you know, I remember having reoccurring bad dreams. I mean, sometimes this is a thorn in the side that God gives us. And a lot of times it can happen to kids because there's also a natural, you know, part of it that their brains are growing and they're making connections that they haven't made before. They're witnessing things in life that we've tried to protect them from. Um, and they have bad dreams. And so what we have then the opportunity to say is, yes, look, this world is full of sin and evilness and wickedness. And even, even our flesh, like what St. Paul says today, even our flesh is, wants to contemplate, wants to see, right? What did Adam and Eve want to do? They wanted to know evil. There's a part of us, right? If you, you tell any kid, hey, you can't handle this movie, how many kids say, yeah, you're right. I can't, I shouldn't watch this. What does every kid say? I can handle it. I can, I can do it, right? And that's what we as adults do too, right? Maybe there are some things we shouldn't, we shouldn't watch or say. And we say, I can handle it, right? And, and that's just as bad. So that's a good question. And I think it, the quick and easy and truthful answer is yes, it is a sin, but it's because we're sinners, and sometimes it's because we've done something sinful. Our brain replays it back or whatever. Um, so we need to protect ourselves. Um, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have bad dreams. It, and, and a lot of times it could just be a bird flying, flying over. We're receptive to it. One of the things there, I mean, yes, we may be thinking this, but we also have to remember that we have, there are some instances where you have been sinned against. Uh, absolutely. And, and so you yep. have to be careful with how yep. you say Absolutely. And absolutely, yep, there is. I appreciate you bringing that aspect of it. And that would be the aspect of a parent too. You know, I kind of was touching on that a little bit. As a parent, if we are not doing our job to protect our children from wickedness, you know, we oftentimes are the ones who've, who, who have caused this. And at two o'clock in the morning, we're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But even more serious sins, right? Abuse, neglect, uh, some of these things that can harm a, person, a person's conscience on a very deep level, which then comes up when they're quiet, when they are asleep, and things, things do come up. Yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's absolutely true. The wickedness of, of sin, uh, of committing against others. And, and that's what we pray for. When that's the case, what do we pray for? Deliverance. Well, deliverance, but what, let's go a little bit further. What do we pray for? Peace. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Wisdom. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness for our enemy. For the one who's done it to us. All right, let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've sent your son Jesus to sanctify us so completely that we are forgiven even the sins we don't know. We thank you for the path and the way of wisdom that we are able to go to your word so that we may hear your gospel. We may hear forgiveness 
cover all of the sins that bother us in our conscience, that we may be flooded with the forgiveness of Christ and that the Holy Spirit would calm our conscience, would give us peace, and even today as we hear, grant our souls rest for the weary and heavy laden. We pray, O Lord, that we would not be the source of of heaviness and ladenness for others, but indeed we would walk along the path of wisdom and encourage others along in the way to come with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.